Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hello, Louise. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? Good. Happy to be here with you. Me too. And we kind of took a week between books. We just finished the wonderful The Mistress's Daughter by A.M. Holmes, and we needed like a minute to process and before we move on. So that's what today is. We are moving on. Mm-hmm. Louise, you want to tell everyone? Yep. We're doing the next memoir in our memoirs. Here we go. It's Who Am I Really? And this is by Damon Davis, who is a guest on our podcast, actually. He was season two, no, season one, episode 10. Was he? Wow. Yeah, okay. way back way back in the beginning. So if anybody wants to listen to Damon's episode, that's where he is. And if you want to follow along, we will let you know. I think we're going to read the beginning part up to chapter six for yes, next week's because recording. Instead of doing like a weekly chapter breakdown, because for starters, Damon did tell his story in great detail on the podcast. So you can mm-hmm. go hear his voice telling you, you don't need us to recap the facts of his life. It's also one of my favorite episodes. Yes. There's just some, some lovely things in it. Yeah. It was a beautiful episode. Damon's mm-hmm. a great guy. So I think we're just going to kind of go by section and discuss themes. And if you read up to chapter six, as Louise was just saying, it kind of envelops the theme of origins mm-hmm. and, beginnings and where all adoptees are from and who we are at the beginning yeah so, so we'll kind of talk about that as a theme exactly so we're going to give this a shot see how this goes without you know literally going through the chapters just kind of discussing like a book club think of it mm-hmm. like a book club yeah book club a, yeah book club book with club. sarah and louise <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> On a funny note, I was in a book club and I quickly dropped out because we have so much reading to do and and we're so involved in this. I'm like, what am I doing joining a book club? So this is my book club now. I have a a fiction book, which is so good that I've been reading forever. And I think I'm finally going to finish it sometime this week, but it's been like months and months. (laughs) I was such a voracious reader. I used to read like a book Me a week too. or at least a couple a month, you know, now it's like, I'm lucky to get two in a year. Me so. too. But you know what we're doing? We're COVID reading so many articles. Did that to me. Yeah. COVID. Me too. And then the start of this podcast, it's like articles where you and I send each other, Yep. you know, tons of reading about adoption and adoptee issues. And so I feel like I'm always reading, but different kind of reading now. So, so this is it. Oh, wait, before we go, we would really appreciate if you hit the subscribe button on wherever you're listening to this, just so we can get a real good idea of how many of you are out there. We would love to know. So if you just hit the subscribe button, then we can tell we get an idea. <laughs> yeah, that helps us. Yes, we appreciate that. And this guest coming up is going to blow your mind. I oh, think yeah, his story is. is just rich. <laughs> he really, yeah, very. And he's, he tells it in such a great way. So yeah, powerful. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll see you soon. See you soon. 
We just wanted to say thank you to our new sponsor, S12F. Between him and our Patreons, we are now weekly, which is so exciting. We've been trying to reach this goal for quite some time. So thank you to everybody who's been a part of this and for helping getting us here. And if you too want to be a Patreon and be part of this, you can go to patreon.com and search for Adoption the Making of Me. But really, we just wanted to say thank you to everybody for making this possible and to continue making it possible. Hello. We are here today with Jim Serrano, who reached out to us on our website, another adoptee to tell his story, which I'm really excited to hear. I know you've been making the circuit, Jim. So thank you for giving us the time. We appreciate it. (laughs) Welcome. You must have a compelling story. (laughs) And you're coming today from California, right? Yeah, I live in Northern California. Oh, Louise Close is in to Central me. California. I'm in Central yeah. Coast. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in Gilroy. Oh, you're in Gilroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My best friend, shout out to Amy Brown. She's in Gilroy too. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I know it well. Before. I know it yeah. well. You yeah. know Amy? Gilroy Garlic Maybe? Festival. Garlic yeah. Festival. Yes, I went mm. to that years ago. Oh, I miss yeah. California. It misses you. Well, so Jim, tell us your adoption story from the beginning. We don't know it and we'd love our listeners to hear it fresh. Sure. Okay. Well, let's see you. Next month, I'm going to be 61. Uh, I was born in San Happy Jose, birthday, Cuspy Aquarius uh, Capricorn. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So I was born in 62 in San Jose. My parents that adopted me were Joe and Lupe Serrano, and they live here in Gilroy, where I'm living at now. And San Jose is about 35 minutes from Gilroy. So they adopted me at about six months of age. And I what year were you born? Oh, you were- 62. Um, you're a 62. baby scoop. Yeah. Exactly. Where were you those six months? I have no idea. That's one thing I always think about too. My story goes, I mean, you think about who held you, who burped you, Mm -hmm. who picked you up when you cried, who named me Freddie. When I got my papers from my parents adopted me, when I started my search, my papers said Freddie. I have no clue who named me Freddie. So who knows? That's a mystery that I'll never know either. Because, you know, that hospital and the, those people back then, they're, they're probably all passed away by now. Right, right? yeah. So, so I was born in, in 62. My parents uh, adopted me at six months of age. They also adopted a sister of mine, Barbara, about a year older than me. Did they already have her when you came into the family? No, no, no. They adopted us at the same time. Oh, okay, so she was and about they, a year and a half and you were about six months old. Yeah. They already had three of their own uh, biological kids. They had... My two sisters that are probably about 20 years older than me and a brother. So it was uh, Susie, Hopi, and Joe Jr. My dad's name was Joe too. So they had three children and then they adopted us. So was it kind of like when the older kids got older and they decided they weren't ready to not be parents? Going to the story why they adopted me because I just found this out. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so it's a part of the story. Okay. So, so I was raised in Gilroy, California all my life. And the next question is, Paul, you will ask me, it was, when did you know you were adopted? Well, that's kind of always going to be a mystery to me too, because see, they never sat me down and told me I was adopted. They sat down with my sister, tell them, but they never told me. But I always remember growing mm-hmm. up that I was always teased that they got me out of supermarket. That was the joke. And I always thought, okay, I thought they were just teasing. So I kind of figured out, wait a minute, I don't really look like them too much, you know? And so I've kind of finally figured it out that I was adopted. 
Did, who did okay. the teasing on that? Your siblings? Everybody. 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 Like a kind yeah. of a like, oh, yeah, we got like you. Like a family joke. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's cruel. That's a really cruel joke. Well, you know, it was a different era and different way of them coping with them not telling me, I guess. But I figured it out myself. But as a child, I never talked about it. Growing up, I never really talked about it. I always hit it back. You know, as adoptees, we always put that facade and that like, happy-go-lucky, people-pleaser. And you never want to admit all the hurt and trauma like, in your soul and your mind, right? So you, mm. you never said nothing. I did it. So growing up as the youngest son, well, the baby in the family, my dad was more of an old-school Latino, Chicano, don't show no love, don't hug, don't show no affection. And I got that from both my parents. And I never heard the words, I love you. There was no hugs. There was no conversation. I actually was talking to my wife the other day, and I was thinking about my past. And I got one one time that I really reached out to my dad to tell him that I loved him. It was probably at his retirement party because both me and my dad both retired from the same company. We used to drive uh, concrete ready mix trucks for a company in San Jose. He had 30 years. I had 30 years in the company. So I retired in 2012 and he retired a long time before that. I figured he would be proud of me because we're only father and son to retire from the company, but he never said nothing to me. He never said great job, son, or nothing. And I always said, wow, shoot, man, what is wrong? You know, I mean, what is wrong with me? Well, why doesn't, I don't feel no love. I don't, I've never had a hug, nothing. So finally, I asked my sister that about two years ago, and I asked her, I goes, why don't you think they ever told me that I was adopted? And she tells me, I don't know, Jim, I, I really don't know why they did. Because that's kind of weird. But then I asked her a question. I asked her, they, they had a son named Georgie, and th- their son Georgie, I mean, he passed away as a child. He was like, I can't get it right. Either he was one or two years old. So they lost a child. Mm-hmm. So after that, my sister told me that my mom was going through a nervous breakdown because losing their child. And of course, I think maybe that's why they adopted. But see, I came in the picture as the boy. The replacement boy. Yes, yes. So I always felt like, I told this to my sister and she didn't disagree with me. She asked me, I told her, I go, Susie, do you think maybe he resented me Mm -hmm. because I was the replacement? And she didn't say nothing. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I had to be, I had to be the reason. Because how can't you not be proud of your son that retired from the same company as you, followed your footsteps? I mean, I played sports. I was good in sports. And he went to my banquets, but never said congratulations, never hugged me, shook my hand, nothing. You're really the product of so many things coming together. Yeah. Culture, the mm-hmm. era. And exactly. he didn't have the baby that they lost. First of all, six months is fairly mm-hmm. old to... Mm-hmm. you know, you've already experienced stuff and who knows what kind of nurturing you got. Then you're put into this yes. for all intents and purposes, kind of cold family yeah. that just compounds that abandonment and pain. And I want to ask you really quick, how did he treat Joe Jr.? Well, that situation was, I'll be honest with you, because I'm very transparent. That was pretty bad too. I know my brother left to Houston, Texas out of California. I think maybe I wasn't even 20 when mm-hmm. he left because of he couldn't get along with my dad either. I mean, him and my dad used to argue a lot. And so I don't know. My dad was very kind of mean, kind of angry at something. I don't know what he was always angry at, but he was a perfectionist. So that's one thing about my dad. He was what? He was a, he, he was a perfectionist. 
Mm. So he was a man's man. He was a hard worker. He he taught me things that you know I probably never would have learned. But I had to do. Was it he right. a drinker? Uh, yes, but he drank just at home. He didn't go out to the bars or anything like that. But he did come home and drink his scotch and water every day, every mm. day. So that's the part of it that I was talking about earlier. Is that the first time I tried to show love to my dad was at his retirement party, and it was just me and him in the room, right? All kinds of people were there, and I got him alone. And, hey, Dad, I just want to thank you for everything you did for me. You know, I really appreciate you, and I love you. And he just looked at me, and he just goes, "Oh, get out of here!" And he pushed me away. Oh, yeah. And I was all, "Wow," you know. And it's funny though. I seen a thing on TikTok with Terry Lewis, and he mm-hmm. talked about him and his dad, how he tried to show love to his dad, and his dad would push him away too. So I don't know. I mean, my wife Tina. I mean, we've been married for. 38 years. I listen to her all the time. She's always gives me all this wisdom about life and stuff like that. And I like she tells Tina. Me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so she tells me, maybe he just didn't know how, he wasn't raised in that babe. And he just doesn't know how to show affection. And, but you know, still, his father probably was treated yes. him the same. Exactly. It's, it's like, it's a probably embarrassing for him almost like, oh, I don't know what to do yes. with that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And that's what I seen in his face. It was like, he was embarrassed. And mm-hmm. I actually said, I love you, dad. But he couldn't say it back to me. He just pushed me away. What, what about your that. sister? Were they affectionate to her? Yes. Yes. I, I think because she was the, I'm going to be honest. I mean, she was the, I think she was the favorite child because she did really well for herself. I mean, she went to Cal Berkeley. She graduated from there. She became a news reporter, um, mm. editor. Now she's an attorney in Seattle. So she did really good. My parents were real proud of her, but they never showed that same effort to me so that's why i always thought that's why i asked my sister I guess, maybe it was because i was the replacement son that they lost mm-hmm. you know so then my sister kept on telling me when we we're having that conversation she goes but there's one thing about you jim you change your whole way of thinking your whole personality change when you're like 11 or 12 and he goes okay and i'm thinking all right now i know exactly what she's talking about well you see no one's known this till i started doing the podcast about three, four years ago, that between the, the ages of between 90 and 11, I was being sexually molested mm-hmm. by a male cousin. And he was in his 20s and I was only uh, nine or 10. Oh, what awful pain you've gone through. You know what? I'm still standing. I'm still strong. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm just I'm, feeling a real yeah. wave of Yeah, I, I understand. I appreciate the compassion from everybody when I start telling my story. The way I'm going to beat this trauma is by telling my story all the time. Mm-hmm. And I won't stop. So they didn't know this. They never knew that because I couldn't go to anybody as a child. Well, it sounds I like mean, you had nowhere to go for that. No, I mean, no, no, no. I didn't have anybody to go. That's to. why you're an easy target, honestly. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I didn't have nowhere to go. I didn't. And the funny part about it, too, is I admitted it to Tina. And my daughter, when I was 52 years old, I'm 61. I just admitted to him 10 years ago, nine years ago, because we're going for an ice cream and we're going for ice cream. We heard this thing on the radio. It was talking about sexual abuse as children. And right there, it, it just hit me. Tell him, Jim, tell him. And you've held this secret for over 40 years. Tell him. I told Tina and Elizabeth that I was molested as a child. They couldn't believe it. And, you know, they couldn't believe it. But it was time. It was time for me to let that out. He was killing me because I started drinking when I was 10 years old, too. See, I started drinking when I was 10. Thank God that next month, January 22nd, is going to be uh, 
23 years of my sobriety. Oh, congratulations. Jim, this is huge that you have Tina and Elizabeth that love you so much that you can say that, right? I mean, especially Mm -hmm. for a man, I know it's very, I mean, for women too, but it's very shameful. And so for you to carry. And And then obviously coming from your macho father. And then me too, pretending, trying to be that macho guy. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to drink and I used to fight a lot. I mean, it's funny. I went back to training about six years ago and I train in Muay Thai and kickboxing. Matter of fact, I'm going to fight in two weeks. I'm 61 (laughs) years old. I'm still fighting. And people always ask me, man, you're crazy, Jim. Why do you do that? You know, it's for me because I think it it might be part of my trauma because it relieves a lot of stuff in me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't go at my opponent or any of my teammates with anger. It's just something that I need in my life. So that's why I've been doing it for six, seven years now. But after I told them that, it kept going and they couldn't believe that happened to me and stuff like that. And so time went by. This is when we were living in town about. 35 miles, well, 45 miles from Gilroy, where I live now. It's called Los Baños. Oh, yeah. I know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I used to live for like 20 years. Some good Mexican food there, by the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was watching a program on TV. I don't know if it was Oprah or whatever. It was a talk show. It was, they were talking about adoptees searching for biological parents and you how you could do it. And uh, you could get uh, non-identity information. So I looked at the program and I looked at Tina and waited for Tina to get home from work because she's been a school teacher for like 20 years now, waiting for her to get home from work. And I told her, Hey, I seen this program on TV and I think, I think it's time because I think, I think it's time for me to go search. So, well, let's start bit. I said, okay, well, the first thing you got to do is the toughest part is going to my adopted parents to ask them that I was going to go search. If they had any and, and what year was this? This was 22 years ago. Oh, it was a while oh, okay. ago. Yeah, so it was like early internet stages. And... Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. No cell phones. <laughs> no, so you had to go to them for that information as opposed to like Ancestry or 23 and Me. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So I went to my mom and dad and I told them this is what I wanted to do. And you could see the hurt in my dad's face and in my mom's face. They didn't want me to do it. Matter of fact, they never even asked me about my search. And when the rest of the story, they never even asked me about it. They didn't want to know. So, of course, the good old thing, you know, they probably thought I was trying to replace them. Then I remember my dad says, okay, we got your paperwork, but are you ready to find out what's out there for you? They go, yeah, I am, dad. And I remember him telling me one time, but you are, you're a Serrano. Because, yeah, dad, you say I'm a Serrano, but I'm not. You know, that's not my blood. You know, nobody hears has my blood. I'm not a soprano. And so it's funny they, how protective they are, but yet weren't yeah. loving. You know what I mean? Yes. 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 It's, and that's that's funny, is that that's the first time I ever heard I love you from my mom mm. because I went to him, I told him I was going to start searching. But she didn't tell me that day. She it took it probably maybe I always remember like four or five months after that that she started telling me she loved me. In my mind I'm thinking, wow, it took me to come and you feeling scared that I was trying to replace you to tell me you love me. It took that. Of course, I never heard it from my dad, but I heard that from my mom. So you were in your thirties, 37, 37, 37, 37. So my daughter, Elizabeth was 15, 16 because my daughter, Elizabeth is 35 now. And so I started the search 
Did not identify any information. So it says you go to the county records department in Santa Clara County. So the place where I used to work at, at Central Concrete was like two blocks from the county records place. So after work, I went to the seventh floor, went in and asked the lady at the desk, hey, can you, I'm here. I'm an adoptee. I got adopted in 62. I was wondering if I could get my non-identity information. She just looked at me and goes, okay, but it might take a while. Because okay, how long is it a while? And she goes, well, oh, maybe six months. All right, so I got a little depressed, right? It says, okay, I filled out the waiver and whatever else. You had to fill out the information, right? So one day, maybe about a month later, I was walking to my mailbox to get our mail, right? And I see this letter. It says, the county of Santa Clara. And first thing I thought in my mind was, well, it might be jury duty or did I get a ticket? Because I don't ever get in a ticket, right? I opened it up. It was my non-identity information. Just a month later? Yeah, a month later. Yeah, that's good. So I don't know what happened, but it happened. So I opened it up. And it says your mother was 5'1", 5'2", 89 pounds. She had a daughter and a son when she gave birth to you. She worked in a medical office. She lived with your grandparents. Then on the biological father's side, it says, okay, your biological father was 5'7", medium built, dark hair, brown eyes. He went to high school till 10th grade and quit to go work full time. And that's all I said. I was more like a one night stand when I was. So, so I had that, right? And so, you have siblings and. Yes. Yes. And that's the part you're going to hear that kind of like a stab in the back for me, but you have to forgive or you're not going to get through life. Yeah. So, and it's still a process. I'm still, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm still processing it all. So uh, one day uh, I was delivering concrete to a job site. I know this person, his name is Carlos Bryan. So I delivered concrete to his construction company for like 20 years. I knew him. So he goes, hey, Jim, how's it going? He goes, good, 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 good. He goes, so what have you been up to? I haven't seen you in a while. He goes, well, you want to know the truth? He goes, sure. I says, well, I'm looking for my biological family. He goes, you are? He goes, yeah, I am. I mean, Joe's not your dad? Because, you know, my dad was still working there at the company. He goes, no, that's not my dad. He goes, oh, wow. I thought you dad, Joe was your dad. No, I was, I was adopted. He goes, wow. Do you know any information? So I told him about the non-identity information that I had. And he looked at me kind of weird. And he goes, wow, when were you born, Jim? I goes, I was born in uh, 62 in January. And he just looked at me again. He goes, wow, Jim, that person that you're describing, your biological mother, sounds just like Marie. I go, what are you talking about? I goes, Marie, this girl that I was dating in the early 60s, everything you said in that piece of paper is Marie. I heard that we had a brief affair and I heard that through the rumor mill and all that, that she had got pregnant and she gave the baby up for adoption, but I didn't know who she got pregnant from or what was happening. Come anything. on. You work with yeah. this guy? No, I delivered concrete to his company. Oh my years. goodness. He goes, okay. And then I told him, he goes, I'm going to give you some information about my biological father now. And he goes, okay. And everything I said in it described him. But one Oh my thing, God. But one thing, because he said he was going to try and look for this girl named Marie. He goes, I'll try and look for her for you. All right. So I described the information I had about him. And he goes, wow. Because exactly, Carlos, exactly. But there's one thing that I didn't ask him. Because I was so, you know, hyped up and nervous and just. Oh, my gosh, for sure. This is so like a business I, transaction turned into yes. this. <laughs> yeah. So I left the job site and went straight to a phone booth. And I called Tina. I go, hey, babe, 
I goes, uh, what else does it say about my biological father? He goes, why? He goes, this is what happened. This is what's happening right now, babe. He goes, oh my God. She says, oh, it says that, this, says that. But it says about him quitting high school in 10th grade to go work full time. So, okay. Well, I didn't ask him that. So I went back to the job site and he goes, hey, Jim, what are you doing? How come you're back? He goes, I got to ask you a question, bro. He goes, what's up? I goes, did you go to high school? Did you graduate and everything, Carlos? He goes, oh, no. Uh-uh. I quit in 10th grade to go work full time. That's exactly oh, that's my what God. he said. So he goes, wow. And he goes, wow, I think you're my son. I goes, oh, I my think God. You're my, I think you're my father. Did you look so, alike? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Everybody used to thought I was Filipino or Hawaiian. I right? thought you were Hawaiian a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, well, yeah, because I did my DNA, and that's a trip too. Okay, like Jim, this days, is bizarre. I know, I know. So two days later, <laughs> I was at our driver's room. Right, we're getting ready to punch in for work, and there's another driver there named Johnny. And Johnny says, "Hey, Jim," I goes, uh, "I heard about you and Carlos." And I go, I looked at him, go, "How do you know?" And he goes, "I know your sister." What do you mean, my sister? Well, I used to live with. Carlos's daughter, which would be your sister. And I told him about you. So she wants to meet you. He goes, Oh, okay. So we used to have this called May Day Fair in Los Bios, a whole week of the fair being in town, right? So, but before that, I went to have lunch with her and her son. I met her and introduced myself. And I said, Hey, would you like to come down to my home in Los Bios and spend the weekend with us? And we'll take you to the fair and all that stuff. So her and her son came. And well, that time me and Carlos were planning Christmases and stuff like that already. Because, and we went to go take a blood test. Went together to go take a blood test. So usually the blood test takes like six, seven weeks for it to come in. So here I am, open up the mailbox again, and I always remember because I tell my story all the time, and I still get emotional. I don't know why. I, it just like it just comes back and just like it happened yesterday. It was negative. He wasn't my father. He was not yeah. your father. He was not my father. And you're like going down this whole thing with them. I like that he wanted to be your father. Yes. I mean, that he was I, that. I, I that, wanted it too. Yeah. I wanted it too because he was a heck of a nice guy. He introduced me to his wife and everything. And it was like, this is awesome. My dream's coming true. It didn't happen. So Tina goes, well, babe, you know, don't give up. We'll keep on searching. So, all right. So six months passed, and my wife was talking to our neighbor that used to live across the street. Her name was Connie. Her, her husband was Dominic. So Dominic and me, we hit it off as friends, and we played softball together. And I played on his, his team and all that, and we became friends. And Tina and Connie were talking, and Connie admitted to Tina that Dominic was adopted. And then Tina said, Jim's adopted. because he is. Goes, yeah. He goes, wow. And he goes, yeah, Dominic went searching for his parents but i think they both were deceased already when he found them. he goes wow so tia kind of told connie my story connie says go talk to dominic it's okay i'll go talk to dominic so i went across the street and, and sat down with dominic and told him about my story and all that he goes well you know there's a program it's called adoptee identity discovery he was in the valley but they had a group in santa clara county he goes but there's meetings in santa clara county you could go attend jim he's all right so I went to a meeting. There was like seven adoptees and they're either their spouses or family members showed up. And the gentleman, I always call him my angel. His name was Neil Kylie, older gentleman. He's like close to 75, maybe close to 80. And all he did was help adoptees try to find their biological families. 
So I took my paperwork in there. And at the same time, I was feeling a little bit more guilty because at that time, my mom that raised me was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I was feeling guilty about searching while she had cancer. and trying Of course, to, because to, adoptees should always feel guilty. <laughs> yes, yes. About trying to save, save her life, right? So, yeah. so I'm there and he goes, okay, well, thanks for the information. The meeting was like maybe three, four hours. He goes, maybe a couple of weeks, I'll have some names for you. And I said, okay. He didn't even charge us or nothing. He goes, how's this guy, this old guy, going to get information to tell me who my biological mother is? Shoot. <laughs> he was like, maybe a week after. He calls me. He goes, I got three names for you, Jim. Because three names? That could be your biological mother. Okay. Their names and their addresses. So he gave me one name for uh, Long Beach, one for LA, and one for San Jose, California. And I had their addresses, right? Here I am driving my concrete truck, you know, working. And <laughs> I'm going down this one street called uh, White Road in Alam Rock. And that was one of the addresses that I had in my pocket because I had those addresses within my pocket all the time. And I just looked and I looked and I go, there's the address of one of the houses that might be my biological mother. In San Jose. In San Jose. So I pulled over. With the concrete truck? With the concrete truck. <laughs> I said, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What can... Okay, I know. I'm lost. I have concrete. I'm trying to find a house that ordered this concrete. <laughs> So I go and knock on the door and this guy answered the door. He kind of looked like me. And I asked him, hey, um, I'm looking for this address. Um, did you order any concrete? And he goes, no, I didn't order no concrete. Oh, okay, well, uh, I called, I'll call dispatch and find out what house it is. Thank you anyway. So I took off, right? A week after that, Neil Kiley calls me. I'm in Gilroy at my cousin's house. Calls me about, I don't know, 8.30 at night. And uh, he tells me, Okay, Jim, I find your biological mother. I found her. You did? Which one is it? She lives in San Jose. It's the address on San Jose. <laughs> I go, I told Neil, I goes, Neil, I have to tell you something. He goes, what? I stopped at that house a couple weeks ago. And he goes, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, you're not supposed to do that. I goes, yeah, but I did it. I did it anyway. So this is the house. Okay. Okay. He goes, here's her number, your phone number. So about, I always remember it's always like 9.15, 9.17. Pick up the phone and I called the number. I knew my brother's names. It was Paul and Bobby. And I had a sister named Wanda. She's the oldest, but she lived in Montana at the time. So I called her. She answered the phone. Her name is Noberta Montoya Dominguez. So uh, I called her. She answered the phone. I asked for Bobby. Bobby is the one that answered the door that day when I went. <laughs> that's That's my... Oh, he looks like yeah, yeah. And Uh, then I asked for and I asked for Paul. Paul is my younger brother. They're all half siblings. So this is my younger brother from her husband that she's married to now. At that time, and Bobby was he the same father as Paul? No, Uh, Wanda and Bobby came from her first marriage. Then I was the one night stand, and then the brief affair. And then she got married to Paul Dominguez. And then little Paul, my younger brother, came between them. So you're the only one that wasn't raised in the family. Yes. yes. Mm. So, so that's why I say that's the hard part is you know, she had two kids and got rid of me. Did so, they know about you, your siblings? Okay, now I keep on going with the story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked her about 
Paul and Bobby? She says, no. I goes, who is this? I goes, this is Jim Serrano. He goes, well, I don't recognize your name because I know all my son's friends' names. Do I know you? He goes, well, I have something to ask you. He goes, yeah. Because does January 22nd, 1962 mean anything to you? And it was dead silence on the phone. And I always remember her saying, who is this and why are you doing this to me? I goes, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and disrupt your life. This is who you think it is. I have a daughter and this, I would love to have some medical information. And she goes, she couldn't really talk. She couldn't talk. So she just goes, can we talk tomorrow? I go, sure, we could talk tomorrow. So I got off the phone with her. And she I was such a wreck that my my in-laws had to pick me up and take me home to Las Mayas because I was in mm-hmm. Gary because I couldn't drive. So I got home that night. Me and Tina were talking about it. We were in bed. The phone rang. It was Noberta. She goes, Jim, can you meet me at Valley Medical Hospital in San Jose tomorrow instead of a phone call? I go, sure. She goes, my kids have doctor appointments there. But sure. I met her there at, at a parking lot around 10 o'clock in the morning. Got out of my car. She got out of hers because she described me, her car, and all the kids that she would have with her. So here's this little older lady came in and hugged me and cried in my arms. And I didn't have no feelings. It was no Hallmark movie. I didn't cry. I had no feelings for her. I didn't have nothing. My soul was, and my heart was really black. And I didn't really know what to think. So she, like I said, then she finally looked at me. She goes, Jim, I have something to tell you. I goes, what? Because nobody knows about you. Your siblings don't know about you. My husband that I'm married to now doesn't know about you. Now, I think God has given me a second chance. So I got to go home and tell my husband and your siblings that you exist. You know, wow. Okay. And see what happens. Who are the kids that were with her? Just well, I'll, I'll keep oh, okay. going. Like that. <laughs> so like, wait. it's okay. People stop me all the time. So <laughs> that night she called me up. She goes, you know what, Jim? I goes, my husband says it's not your fault that everything happened this way. He wants you to come to the house. Uh-huh. to meet the family, just to sit down and meet. But sure, I would love to. So I went and there was my two brothers, her husband, and he shook my hand and says, it's okay, man, just come in. So, of course, I was a nervous wreck, you know. because He's a good man. Yeah, he is. He is. Did they recognize you from doing the concrete stop? Uh, no, no. My brother didn't. My brother, Bobby, the one that answered the door, didn't recognize me. <laughs> and so I seen all the little kids though, right? So I didn't ask. I thought they were just grandkids or something, right? I didn't ask. I was just more interested in talking to her and my brothers, right? Later on that night, I called her when I, when I got home after the visit. And I told her, I goes, hey, uh, are all those kids, are, are those all your grandkids and stuff? Paul and Bobby's or somebody's? She goes, uh, no, Jim. Goes, Who are they? He goes, uh, those are my foster kids. So her and her husband uh, had 500 kids come through their home as foster kids. It makes was, me it, sad. was it some yeah. sort of like atonement that yeah. she was yes. feeling for having given yes, you exactly. up? Exactly. Yes. Because she got a lot of awards from the mayor of San Jose and she never put up her awards. She always put it in a box and put it in the basement because nobody knew her secret. So that, that happened. And then I asked her, hey, uh, is Carlos Bryan my father? I thought maybe the blood test was wrong. And she goes, no, that's not your father. Your father, is his name is Raul Coca. Okay. Because how do I find him? 
I don't know. Um, you know, they haven't seen each other in what 38, 39 years. <laughs> Just, but I know your uncle still has a furniture store downtown San Jose. It was there for like 50 years, at least 50 years. It was called Hank Coco's Downtown Furniture. It was even commercials on TV. I used to see on it. And so that was my uncle's store. So I was delivering concrete right across the street. I seen the store. I go, well, Jim, walk in the store. I walked in there and I asked for Hank Coca. And the guy that greeted me was Hank Coca Jr. He goes, no, my dad's not here, but I'm Hank Coca Jr. He's all right. I go, do you know a raw Coca? Because yeah, I know Raw. He's my uncle. He goes, okay. Why? Uh, you need him for something? He goes, well, I'm going to come out and tell you. <laughs> I might be his son. Here's <laughs> my phone number. Tell him 1962. Tell him Norberta Montoya. Because that was her main name, eh? Montoya. He goes, okay. He looked like me, like kind of weird, you know? Frank. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so here you go. I just, well, see what happens. Left the, the furniture store and maybe about two weeks after that, Norberta decided to throw me a party to introduce <laughs> me to the family. So I went to her house and met the family. And on the way home, we're thinking, okay, well, this was two weeks later. Goes, well, he never called me, right? My biological father and stuff. So I was like, oh, well, I guess he doesn't want anything to do with me, right? Or maybe then I was a nut or something. I don't know. Tina <laughs> tells me, babe, you have to listen to this. You know, that good old answering machines, right? You got to listen to this answering machine. This message is for you. Who is it? Just come listen to it. So I press the button. And it says, hi, I'm Raw Coca. I might be your father. You want to meet? <laughs> it goes, I'll meet you at uh, Original Joe's, famous restaurant in San Jose. I met you at Original Joe's for uh, lunch. Okay. I met him. I was sitting up there at Original Joe's. And here he comes walking towards me. And guy kind of looks like me. You know, his face there, it looks like me. You know? and, but there was one thing about my biological father, Raw, he had a twin. He was a twin. And his twin looks exactly like me too, but his twin has a body like me. See, uh, I have like big shoulders and kind of a husky guy, right? And that's how his twin looked like. My biological father was really thin, really thin, really skinny. But his twin looks just like me. So we talked about his situation with Noberta and all that. And, we went and took a blood test a week later, and six weeks later, came back. It was positive. He was my dad. So, does have kids? Yeah. Did so Raul have kids? That's another thing. See, she kept the secret from everybody, right? So he didn't know I exist. He never had kids, and he never was married. All of a sudden, voila! You have a thirty-seven-year-old son, and a granddaughter, and a daughter-in-law. He never knew. She never did tell him. Hmm. Nope. Was he happy? Never told him. Yeah, to yeah. He seemed like yeah. real happy because he was the only, it's a big family. The Cocos are a big family, but he was the only one that didn't have any kids or a family. Out of all the uncles, brothers, and sisters, everybody had big families, but him, he didn't have nobody. Hey, Jim, hmm. I have a question for you. Jump back for sure. a second. You had said that when your birth mother hugged you you felt nothing that your soul and mm-hmm. heart were black did that change like when she invited you into the family did it start to did I'm you start you to asked. well i'll keep on doing with the story <laughs> it has to do with the story our relationship i'm gonna be very honest with you our relationship for 20 years was a roller coaster she did a lot of things that i didn't agree with 
with her foster children. There's a lot of things we argued about because she thought she knew exactly what an adoptee feels like just because she raised foster kids. And I told her, no, that's not how an adoptee feels. Our relationship was a roller coaster. It was up and down. Some years it was good. Some years we wouldn't talk for three, four months, six months. We couldn't understand each other. And that's one thing Tina used to tell me all the time, babe, she's never going to understand you. And you're never going to understand her. You guys are in complete different opposites in this situation of this adoption crap, you know? And so she just go, and our relationship wasn't, it was never, I never told her I loved her, to be honest with you. I never told her I loved her. She used to tell me, but I couldn't say it back. Mm -hmm. I could never call her mom. Maybe because every time I wanted to be number one. I wanted to be the number one thing in her life when I found her. Well, that didn't happen. I still felt like more of a, of the black sheep of the family. Because as someone that, see, remember, I always tell her, remember, I found you. You didn't find me. If I didn't go looking, you would have died with this secret. And nobody would have known about me. So that kind of hurt. And then her having the kids and then giving me up and raising all those kids. and so. Yeah, all the kids are raised together except for you. It's like, it's painful. And then, and then 500 foster kids. So a lot of um, love for everybody, but you, it feels. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Even, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. So that's our relationship. So on is my she still third, living? Uh, she just passed away about eight months ago. Did things change once you kind of opened up to Tina and Elizabeth about your sexual abuse? Did that kind of change any other relationships in your life? Oh, yeah, because I admitted to Tina who the person was maybe about a year ago. Mm. Because the hard part with that is when I was dating Tina, for, we met on a blind date. We went to the same high school, graduated in the same year, but met on a blind date two years after. Mm. So the house where she used to live at, I used to go pick her up all the time. We were dating, right? Well, where the sexual abuse happened was right across the street from where mm. she lived. I remember the images. I remember the room. I remember the smells. And every time I had to go pick her up, I had to look across the street. So I kept that a secret. Talk about compartmentalizing, secret. right? Yeah. yeah. So I finally told Tina, but like I said, a year ago, I was at work. I was at a job site. and. I took a break and I was, I don't know what, I just started watching Antoine Fisher, my favorite movie. I broke. And one of the scenes I broke when he was being left, when his foster mom was taking the kids to the county room mm -hmm. and he was being left with the person that was molesting them. Something triggered me that day. I broke. So I told Tina who the person was that molested me. She's the only one that's ever going to know. And people always ask, used to ask me, when would your hardest cry be? Well, probably my hardest cry was probably me. At my mother's gravesite you know, that raised me. Because all I remember my mom always saying when my dad was beating me was, Jose, Jose, he's had enough. So she protected me. But also the other reason was because the person that molested me as a kid was there that, at the gravesite. So layered. So every time I, I go back to that, I break. And that's kind of probably the hardest cry I've ever had. And I had it in that job site about a year ago 
the same type of cry I had at my mom's gravesite. It was because of that situation. Oh, so let me keep on going. So she decides she wants to throw me a 38th birthday party. 38th surprise birthday party. Invited all my friends, closed a restaurant here in Gilroy and invited, I don't know, 100, 200 people. I don't know what it was. But I found out about it about two weeks before from a friend of mine. He blew it. <laughs> and I told Tina, is my parents going? Is my family going? Because, yeah, they're going. Because, oh, I knew they didn't want. Why are they going? They, they don't even ask me about it. I know they're not comfortable with it. So I was like, because remember, I started drinking when I was 10 years old. And I got there to the party, opened the door, and there is my mom. There is my dad, Noberta, my adopted mom, and her husband sitting at the same table. Oh, my goodness. I looked at the table. I seen the hurt in my mom's face. I seen the anger in my dad's face. And, of course, my adopted mother was all smiles. You mean my your husband. birth mother? Birth mother, yes, birth mother. And I said, oh, my, who's stupid enough to sit them at the same table? So that (laughs) night I got drunker than drunk, just drunk because I wanted to escape. That's why I used to drink. I escaped from reality. I escaped from the no love, the sexual abuse, being adopted, the abandonment. That's why I drank because I didn't have to face all that crap in my heart. As a kid, I was always alone. You know, mm-hmm. I'm always alone. I could go to nowhere. I always remember my dad at the end of the party. He goes, okay, Jim, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. He was pissed. It's my birthday well, party. I mean, they he didn't have to go. <laughs> no. Yeah. So the next day I was at the house. And, and this was like this sister. was your biological mom's idea to have this party? Yes. Yeah, it's sort of crossing a lot of boundaries for you. In yes. My opinion. Yes. It's like. Yes. yes. Boundaries. Uh, I learned my push. boundaries probably the last four or five years of knowing her. I finally <laughs> figured same out what here. boundaries was about. <laughs> yeah. The next day I was at the house and I felt like something was wrong with me. I felt like my heart was coming out of my chest and I collapsed. I called Tina. I said, babe, call the ambulance. I think I'm having a heart attack. Something's wrong. So the ambulance came, picked me up. And they thought I had a heart attack. Took me to the hospital, put me in ICU. <laughs> the next day I'm sitting in the ICU and I'm sitting in the hospital bed. Here comes my adopted mother, walks into the room just to see how I was doing. Five minutes later, here comes my adopted parents walking into the room. They're sitting there in the room, not saying a word to each other. Oh, your birth mother came in and your adopted parents. Okay. Sitting in the room, looking at me, not saying a word to each other. Right there, I'm, I'm saying, God, if I had a gun right now, I would just blow myself away because don't you guys get it don't you guys get it they didn't get it because you know what that's not the only time i had thought about taking my life i thought during my teenage years between the ages of 16 and 18 i had ways how i was going to kill my abuser but i had ways how i was going to take my life too see so i had that in my mind already that was the easy way out so so was this a Heart attack or was it an anxiety attack? After we found out, it was an anxiety attack. I'm sure. But I was in ICU for three days and they couldn't figure it out. All of a sudden he says, okay, Jim, we can't figure this out, but you're fine. But we heard about your story and you're talking to your wife or whatever. And uh, we want you to go see a a therapist. Mm -hmm. So I went to go see a therapist. And of course, uh, here's your good old supply of Paxil and antidepressants. There you go, Jim. Have fun with your life. Take them all. So here I am taking Paxil, still trying to 
live life and did the therapist even speak to you about adoption hell no <laughs> oh, so it was a psychiatrist not a therapist yes. okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah they don't they just yeah. They just drug yeah did you end up getting into talk therapy after that well, and yeah i mean I'll, I'll keep on going yeah <laughs> so i was home for like two three months and then i finally went back to work but i was still on packs though i was still on antidepressants right and drinking so there. and drinking yeah oh yeah I mean, oh, sometimes no, no, no. antidepressants no, no, no. I are very helpful for people. So I, I wasn't drinking anymore. Oh, the last okay. drink I've ever you got had sober was by my, then. My thirty eighth birthday. Ah, oh, okay. The last time I've had a drink. The surprise party this is my last time I had a drink. Got yeah. It. Yeah. So, so I went back to work, and a friend of mine he goes, "Hey, what's going on, Jim?" So I told him what was going on. He goes, "Hey, you ever thought about coming to church with me, man?" He goes, "Nah, I don't think it's a church." So then, maybe about two weeks later. He invited me again. So I said, okay, I'll go. So I finally went on a Friday night, I think it was. But I was late. But he was still waiting for me at the steps. So I went and seen all these people in the church. I said, okay, whatever. you know. And I still was on Paxil. We were attending this church, me and my wife. And, and I felt like I was having an anxiety attack again in church, in the church service, right? So Tina tells me, hey, don't you have your pills with me? I go, yeah. I go, well, go take one. So I went to go take one. But by the time I took it and came back to my seat, I felt different. I don't know. I just felt different. So I got home that day after, from church, and uh, I got all my pills and my Paxil, and I threw down a drink. I had an appointment with my therapist or psychiatrist, whatever he was, two days after that. And he asked me how things were going. I'd come, and I threw all my medication away. He goes, what? You can't do that, Jim. He goes, well, I did it. I don't need you. What do you mean you don't need me? He goes, eh, I'm fine. So I threw it all away and started being sober. I'm still sober till at this time in my life. And then, you know, our ups and downs, our relationship between me and her were like a roller coaster. Like I said, I got to meet all my biological father's side. And he passed away about 10 years ago from Parkinson's disease. And you were close to him for that? Not really. No? Not really. No, because he didn't really... Uh, really know how to react to the whole situation. We weren't close. We used to talk once in a while. Once in a while. Maybe out of the 10 years I knew him, maybe 10 times. The family is awesome. The, the, the whole family has very, been very loving to me. Oh, that's, I mean, I can't that's say, great. Yeah. I can't say that. Which, I mean, I can say that with both families. You know, They've been loving to me, welcoming me. But it's just that the relationship with my biological mother didn't work out, you know, because it was a roller coaster. So that couldn't work out, but everybody else is welcoming me. Um, and you have a lovely wife and a really great daughter. And so there are mm-hmm. lots of gifts with the pain. Yeah. Yeah. With me too. I mean, I always think about this one thing ever since I've been telling my story, that's one thing that hurt me a lot too is see, I've lost family members for telling my story because I, sure. I tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I tell the truth. And um, not one of them have ever came to me to uh, ask me about who it was that molested me or mm. they're sorry that happened. No one. That one. Nobody. Is, is, that, is, is that person still alive? The molester? I have no idea. The yeah. last time I seen him was at my mom's gravesite, and that was 20 years ago. So who knows? So he's probably, what, 15 years older than me now? Has, any, has anyone in your family ever asked, in your adopted family ever asked you or your sister, just how does it feel to be adopted or um, you went through it? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, even my own sister, Barbara, that was adopted with me, we never talked about it as kids. 
never no. talked about it. What about, no. do you talk she, about it now? Yes, because she's Yeah, I mean, story. as kids, my brother and I didn't talk about no. it. I think that's very typical. I don't think that's yeah. unusual. Has she gotten to know your families, your two families? Uh, Barbara, has she gotten to know you? No. Bio? No? No, she, I think what scared her off of searching was hearing my story. <laughs> and I think she's very loyal to my mom and dad that raised us. Even till, I mean, like I said, they've been gone for years. But I think she's really loyal, more loyal to them. The guilt, I guess. Me, I had to do what I had to do. Like I said, I lost a lot of family members from telling my story. I mean, I've had people say, you're not a man because of you crying like a little baby, you know, and baby, shit, I'm telling you the story. You you, you don't know my story. You know, fine. These were not yeah. meant to be. Yeah. I mean, who needs that? Really, it's having healing people in your life and not people who make you feel bad. It's just, exactly. it's not worth it anymore. You're very brave. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big journey you've been on. And coming from the family you came from, you're very brave. It's, yes. I really like and Tina, open. by the way. I'm a big fan of Tina. <laughs> you could go on uh, YouTube. You could go at Tina Serrano. And a fireside interview Tina oh. on how it is to be uh, married to an adoptee. Gre- was that out. Greg that interviewed her? Uh, no, it was Dusty interviewed her. Mm-hmm. That was before Craig started being a host. I'm going to look hey, her up. One last question. Are you still sure. in touch with your brothers and wanda bobby paul uh, and wanda? Well, my, my brother bobby met me at the door he passed away like about four years ago from diabetes mm. oh. my sister wanda texts once in a while my brother paul yeah we we've never been close we've never been close um the last time i seen all of them probably was at my mother's funeral and that was like eight months ago nine months ago and haven't seen them since i mean of course you hear that same old story you know um, we've got to stay in touch we got to stay in touch, you know, but that never happened. I mean, I'm tired of reaching out all the time because why do I, and Tina always tells me, hey, you reach out to them. I'm tired of reaching out. I've been painting that facade, happy guy with a big old smile and not showing my pain. I'm tired of doing that. It, it's about Jim now. And then you asked me about therapy like and that. stuff like that. You asked me about therapy and all that. I mean, I've never gone to a therapy on the adoption part, but I went to my first meeting, sexual abuse, about three weeks ago. Oh, good, Jim, for you. Yeah. I finally, and it was like about 20 of us. And that was very interesting to hear all the stories. Not, they didn't really tell too much of their stories, but it kind of felt like my first adoptee support me. Well, I'm really glad you're taking these steps to heal yourself. And and I have to. A hundred percent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, but no, like a lot of people wouldn't do that. And so it's really, it's really admirable. Many men in your, with your kind of background and your life would just be angry. (laughs) Men have came to me since I've been telling my story and meeting some of their sexual abuse as a kid. So this is a thing. And it's, it's very powerful that you're doing that. Very powerful. I think so many people live with this inside and never talk to yeah. anybody. Yeah. And people always tell me, because why do you do this, Jim? Why do you keep on doing interviews? Doesn't it like bring back the past? Because no, no. W- why I do it? Because I'm not going to let the trauma defeat me. If I don't keep on telling the story and being transparent, how am I going to help anybody? I don't want anybody to hold their secret all my mm-hmm. their lives like I did. It took me 50 years to start talking about my secrets. I don't want anyone to to live like that. I don't want anyone to feel the hurt 
that I've felt all my life. That's why a lot of these adoptive support groups, they're younger, they're younger kids. They're all going to be my kids. And I look at them and I go, oh, man, it kind of brings back memories how I was when I was their age. But when I was their age, I didn't have support groups. Now we do. Yeah. Now we talk the truth. Now we get out the truth and we talk. Back when I was a kid, we didn't talk about that, especially sexual abuse. Mm -mm. Adoptee, we didn't talk about that. Shit, my dad would have kicked my ass. If I would have went, hey, dad, uh, you know, I don't don't want to go with you to Theo's house. We mean, no, you're going. Come on, let's go. I would try to get away out of it all the time because I knew what was going to happen to me if I went there. I'm so sorry. God. See? So, but what can I do? I was a nine, 10 year old kid. Power. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And yeah. the stuff he used to tell me what he was going to do if I said anything, you know, I have nobody. You know, and the adoptees are always trying to get home, right? We're always trying to get home. Mm-hmm. I'm almost there. I'm almost there, but I like that. I'm still I'm far away. I'm still yeah, I'm still far away from it. So well, thank you so much story. for sharing this with us, Jim. We really, really, really appreciate it. Well, very thank brave. You. And thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And stay in touch with us, please. I will. Yeah, I will. Please do. And go okay. Broncos. Okay, because I see your background. So <laughs> <laughs> Raider Nation. Raider Nation. Uh, whatever. <laughs> we'll have to talk. <laughs> All right, Thanks, ladies. Jim. Thank bye, you. Jim. Okay, Thank bye. You. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss for words because I almost want to like climb through the thing and hug him. Like the <laughs> loneliness from that. Yeah. You say that a lot about mm-hmm. like wanting to climb through. Just, yeah, it just hurts me. Like, Well, he had a, just so much pain there, you know. Thankfully, he has a great relationship and a long-term relationship. Uh-huh. Kind of amazing, given his circumstances, that he was able to bond in a relationship like that. Many people can't. I, I just think, and with his daughter, too, it's really brave to share your story so that the next generation is like, okay, we're not going to do this. Like, that's why he's doing this. Badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, I'm, I'm really... Um, I'm in awe of him a little bit because of how he was raised and where he's come. I and... know. I know. Really. Really. He's got a journey ahead of him. I'm really glad. I'm glad he's doing it. Me too. I'm I'm... Glad we had him on. Well, this, what do we say, Sarah? I mean, another great episode. Another great episode. It's strange to say that, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a great episode, but painful. Yeah. Painful. Okay. Well, I'll see you next time. Next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.